Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to the elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Please read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. If you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick up one at the information desk in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the Qualifications of an Elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 11th. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the process of recognizing new elders. Finally, we thank Scott Thompson and Roger Hill for their years of faithful service as elders. They have represented you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, please thank these gentlemen for their faithful service. On another note, a few of the buildings on our Rogers campus need some attention. The Family Center was completed in 1991. The Worship Center and Foyer were completed in 1999. That's a quarter of a century. The elders have approved moving forward with much needed improvements to those buildings. The cost is estimated to be approximately $4.5 million. We don't want to go into debt for this project and we have proven on initiatives of much larger scale that we can get this done if all our congregations work together. My wife Denise and I will be setting up monthly recurring gifts to do our part and I hope you will too. No gift is too large or too small. And remember, it's not about equal giving, but equal sacrifice. On the giving page of our website you will find capital improvements. You can make a contribution there or set up recurring gifts. We already have $1.3 million in donations, so we are well on our way. God continues to do great things through Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas. Thank you for playing an active role in this great ministry. God bless you, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bentonville. Would you stand with us? Let's worship the Lord together. Let's lift up this familiar hand, this faithfulness. And come now, found every blessing. of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise teach me some melodious song 
sing of the Lord as our helper. And here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me with a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger, interposed his precious on his grace together this morning and oh to grace how great a debt daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a friend bind my wandering heart to me prone to wander to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it, seal it for thy courts of Let's make this our prayer. Here's my heart. And here's my heart, Lord, take it, seal it, Seal it for thy courts of love. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Thanksgiving. Hope you guys had a great holiday time. Uh, time to just eat lots of good food, be with lots of good people, and uh, just enjoy some time celebrating the goodness of God. We're so glad that you've chosen to be with us today. If this is your first time, welcome. This is a great place for you to be, and it's a safe place for you to be. Nothing is expected of you today. Just sit back, do as much or as little participation as you want, but just enjoy being in the presence of God and his people, uh, worshiping him and sitting under his word. And so we just want to say welcome. And if you are, again, if this is your first time or you're fairly new to, to fellowship and you've never connected, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, we've got some folk, really, really friendly people uh, that are out in the foyer after services that love to connect with you. We make sure they're friendly. We pay them to be friendly. No, they really are. Just some great people. Uh, hey, my name is Doug, and I get to work with our global workers. And let me just mention real quickly, holiday season can be a real challenge for those people who are part of our body who live around the world and work and serve the Lord around the world. 
And uh, they don't get to have the same traditions that we get to have often, and they don't get to be around the families like we do. And so holidays can be hard for them. So on our app or on our website, there's a, a place there that says, uh, you know, Global Worker Holiday Encouragement. Would you take a minute to look at that and see if you'd like to participate in just sharing some words of encouragement with our global workers? And it'll tell you how you can do that there. We are wrapping up our series uh, on Philippians which means that right ahead of us, we are staring at Advent. Um, I don't know if you're ready for Christmas yet. I'm not. But anyway, um, but as part of our regular Advent rhythm, we have uh, people on our staff who will write and record Advent devotionals to help kind of lead you and uh, individually or maybe you as a family together through some Advent devotionals just focusing on the coming of Christ. And so let me encourage you. Uh, to, to jump on those, they're, they're out there available, and to participate in that. Would you stand with me? We're going to have a reading. So hear the word of the Lord from James chapter 1 and verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This is the word of the Lord. I want to invite you guys in to sing with us as we reflect and point our eyes to the faithfulness of God, to the goodness of God. With one voice, we can declare together. Father of kindness, you have poured out grace. You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy, you are help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Savior, you have 
time we get to that bridge, I will rest in your promises. My confidence is his faithfulness. I'm encouraged. This morning, I want to share with you a, a discipline, a practice that has been very meaningful in my life, and it's a practice of Lectio Divina, or divine reading. And we're just going to have a familiar passage up here from Psalm 23. I'm going to read through it and then give us some time to reflect on the truth of that psalm. And so we start Psalm 23, verse 1. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Rest in that posture of contentment. What does it mean to be fully satisfied? To not want, to not have need. shepherd he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake where are you at in life right now are you at a fever pitch and your pace is too fast and you need him to make you lie down and rest for a while or are you in a peaceful season where you're being led beside still waters and your soul is being refreshed, restored? Ask the Lord to lead you in those paths of righteousness for his glory. And that path leads through many places. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So if you're walking through the valley right now, take comfort in the fact that the Lord is with you. 
allow his rod and staff to comfort you. Oh Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Thank the Lord for calling you, choosing you, giving you so much more than you could ever ask or imagine. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Rest in his presence together this morning.
Psalmist writes, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. Let's sing this together. Gratitude for all he's done. You've been so, so good to me. You've been so, so good to me. Oh, to think where I would be if not for you, if not for you. You've been so, so for today out of Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. It says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment. And I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's going to have a seat. Good morning. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to you. If you are joining us from out of town, I'm glad you stayed over on Sunday to worship with us. 
Hope your time was rich, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, hope you gathered with people you care about, feasted on things you love, and uh, got to give thanks at the same time. And you know what? Uh, that doesn't describe Thursday Thanksgiving Day. That actually describes every Sunday we gather, right? You think about what we do and why we come together as a church. We gather with people we love. Uh, we feast on things we love. And then we give thanks and worship for that. So it's good to be together and do that again this morning. Hey, two weeks ago, our staff finally took a series of retreats or a set of retreats. And again, that may not be a big deal to you, but we actually started planning those right before we launched Fellowship Bentonville. But because of another variant of COVID and during the pandemic time, we had to cancel. I think we canceled multiple times. We finally got those rescheduled. And so a couple of weeks ago, the women on our staff team got together for a retreat. Then the next week for a few days, the men on our staff team pulled away for some time together. And it was really a powerful time of really connecting with one another and then dreaming uh, together about Fellowship Bentonville. And around the fire pit uh, during one of the times, Hunter House uh, asked the guys, I don't know what the women's questions were like, but ours were, he started saying, by, let's walk around or go around the circle and talk about the highs and the lows of your work life. By the way, it has to take a high trust circle to talk about your lows in front of your coworkers, huh? And as he did, it's almost like every staff member had come with a prepared script because all of us said the same thing about our highs. We all talked about how you, the leaders in this body, have brought us so much joy over the last year or two, and just what it's like to, to get to serve with you. In fact, Peter Hammond, who is our newest teammate, he made this comment. He, I don't think he went first, but he said, I have to say the same thing. My high, well, it's the people that I get to serve with. He said, I'm new to town, but I've noticed that they have very full lives. They have full jobs, they have full families, uh, they have full set of activities, and yet they engage so wholeheartedly with the work of the gospel and the advancement of the kingdom. He said, it's kind of incredible. What's it like to have someone talking behind your back? How's it feel this morning? Now, when it's like that, it's not so bad, is it? That the way you do your Christian living brings joy to our hearts. Well, really, Paul felt the same way about the Philippian church. Jared just read the passage for us. It begins in verse 10. By Paul saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And then in verse 14, he says, and yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Now, this is our last Sunday in our fall series uh, on Philippians. And so if you're new to us, if you're visiting from out of town uh, maybe it would help you know that our habit as a church is to walk through a book of the Bible together. And we do so really hoping that the Spirit of God will use that to walk through our lives together. So we get reoriented and course corrected in our walks uh, back to Him. And in Philippians this fall, we started off by saying this was originally written as a thank you letter to a church that was very dear to Paul because they had financially supported him not just in his ongoing ministry, but also even in his financial hardship. And we're going to see that in this closing section of the 
the letter to, to the Philippian church, that this kind of generosity, it's going to bless not just the receiver. It actually might have more blessing even to the giver themselves. Let's look at the receiver, though, first. Paul says this in verse 11 and 12. He says, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that I'm grateful for you and your gift because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Our family has uh, been involved with the Ministry of Compassion International for a, for a bunch of years now. If you don't know Compassion International, they're a worldwide global uh, poverty relief child development uh, ministry. Their real simple vision is uh, releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And so they bring physical need and the gospel at the same time. And in fact, Lisa's in my dream has been the number of biological children that he has given us the gift of raising that we would get to sponsor the same number of children in third world countries around the world. And because of some of our involvement, it led me to doing some, some work uh, with some of their staff development, which took me on a trip to Uganda a number of years ago. We got a chance to see the global church in action in Kampala's poorest inner city slum, but also in some of the poorest rural areas out in the countryside. And I was ridiculously impressed with the way God is moving through his people in every circumstance, even the poorest of the poor. One of the churches that I was in, in Kampala, uh, the pastor was talking to me about some things they were doing in discipleship, and he said, uh, Mark, if I were to ask you what the opposite of poverty is, what would you say? What do you think I said? Same thing you're thinking right now. What's the opposite of poverty? I said, wealth. And he said, oh, no, brother. The opposite of poverty is enough. Having enough to meet your needs. Folks, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying in the text that's on the screen right now. He says, I am content. Literally, you could hear it this way. I am satisfied, or I have enough. And I believe this is a message for us and our culture today, because we are an unsatisfied people living in a never enough age. And even the tool that we use every day to stay engaged with one another, well, it just feeds discontentment. That's what social media, partly what it does. And in that, one of the authors that I respect and read quite a bit has made the comment that our age, he says, well, the sin of our age is envy. Envy is actually the opposite of contentment. We not only want what we cannot have, we're actually angered if we cannot have what we want and think that others shouldn't have it or enjoy it as well. And Paul says here, not only I am content, that's not the phrase he uses. What does he say? What's the verb say? I have learned to be content. Because contentment, or that sense of enough, 
Well, it is learned because none of us comes out of the womb content. You have never heard a newborn cry to her mother, enough. No, we come out of the womb craving and we live craving. We all have to learn contentment. Now, here's what I love about this passage. Notice the curriculum that God chooses to teach people who are interested in learning how to be content. He chooses the highs and the lows of life. The phrase he uses here in the text is, I, I, I've been through the need and the plenty, the hungry and the well-fed. In other words, the valleys and the mountains that we experience is actually the curriculum that God wants to use to teach us contentment. In fact, Paul here says the second time, I've learned the secret of contentment. And if you want to know someone who's found the secret of living well, you will be looking at someone who's content. They have found that the secret of life is the sense of being satisfied and at rest, that their needs are met. Paul says here in verse 11 and 12, that contentment can also be found in all circumstances. He says, I've learned in verse 11 to be content in all circumstances. Verse 12 says, contentment is not based on my possessions. See, the truth is we learn contentment in need and in abundance. Think about it. The last time you have been in need, those pangs or pains uh, that create want inside of you, something gets stripped away from you that you thought was incredibly precious to you. The next thing you learn out of that is this sense of, yeah, but suddenly I see what I really need. And I'm grateful for what I really have. And this is sustaining me. So that valley experience teaches us to be satisfied that we have enough. But not only that, I love it that the fact that the heights of abundance can teach us contentment. And we in our culture, we might know that lesson more of all. Because we know that that thing you've been researching and thinking, that next trip or that next purchase or that next upgrade, that's where the joy is going to be found. And then you land the purchase or experience the trip, and you love it for what it is. Good gifts are always good. But then the joy wears off, doesn't it? And the craving sets in again. And we want more and more and more. Oh, yeah. We learn contentment enough, satisfied through the lows and in the highs. Contentment is learned, and it's not based on possession. So where does contentment actually come from? Well, it comes from the next verse, verse 13. Verse 13 says, I can do all this. What's the this? I can learn contentment. I can practice contentment through him who gives me strength. You notice this is, by the way, a very common promise that you will see sometimes on office walls or cards or uh, in high school weight rooms or in Christian CrossFit gyms, right? You can push this weight or flip this tire through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what it's talking about. It's quite likely you still can't flip the tire, okay? The con the pr every promise has a context. The context here is learning to be satisfied with much or with little. And he says that is only possible through the power of Jesus Christ who's all 
already living in me. When I rely on his power, I can rest in whatever provision he's chosen to give in this circumstance. We're at rest in all circumstance because he resides in us. We're satisfied because he is enough in us. And men and women, that takes a shift in focus. We're going to have to shift our focus from the amount of possession to the God who chooses to allocate that. I'm so grateful for our Spectra artists who are part of Fellowship Benville. When they heard the Philippians series was coming up, uh, they chose to paint and create some unique art for our series. It's, by the way, been hanging in the foyer all fall. One of them has been done by my buddy Daryl Dunn. It's this piece here. And can you see it? I love the fact that he uses negative space to bring the image about. Some of you see it and some of you don't. In fact, if you see the it I'm talking about, raise your hand. Okay, same as about the first service. About 20% are clearly are in the gifted and talented group here. And the rest of us are going to need some coaching. So those of us that need coaching, how about this? If you focus on the black, the dark, you will miss the beauty of the image. If you can focus on the blank space between the dark, you will see it emerge. And maybe this might destroy Daryl's art, but it might help you see it. Content. What's at the epicenter of that contentment? The cross. You focus there, now do you see it? Yeah. It allows you to find contentment emerging because you're locked into the right perspective. Contentment emerges when we focus on what is true and good and beautiful. And by the way, this passage on contentment follows Mickey's teaching last week where he talked about how we need to think on the right things. And he gave us a list of six that came out of verse 8. You could summarize that six in three words. What's true, what's good, what's beautiful. By the way, that's a classic definition of the gospel, all the way going back to the church fathers. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. And so when our vision of life, even our vision of things, becomes gospel-centered, contentment emerges, whether it's much or little. When we say gospel-centered, what do we mean? Anytime you hear the phrase gospel, think in your mind who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When we understand who Jesus is and what he has done in our life, we are centering our life around the gospel. And contentment, well, we find contentment not by chasing contentment. No, we find contentment. It emerges after we chase after Jesus and his gospel. Find contentment by focusing on Jesus. Verse 13 in that promise, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things, content in all things, through Jesus' strength. Immediately flows to verse 14, which feels like a topic shift. In verse 14, he says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Notice how contentment, that Paul's contentment, is now connected to the Philippians' generosity. And again, that kind of makes sense to me. 
Because the most content people are usually the most generous people. Have you not seen that? And not only that, our contentment usually starts to show up through our generosity. So the passage here doesn't teach us just about what we need to know about contentment. It moves to teaching us what we need to know about generosity as well. And it's going to tell us that generosity meets very real, very temporal, very physical needs. And we're glad for that. Paul had real needs. He needed to eat and be provided for. And in verse 16, he says, For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. This is what's so cool about the Philippian church. They're not just one-time givers. Check the box and move on. It was a lifestyle. In fact, four times in the New Testament, Paul highlights the Philippian church, not even talking to the Philippians. He's talking about other church, two other churches. He's highlighting the Philippians' practice of generosity in supporting his ministry to advance the gospel. And then another time to the Corinthians, he's talking about the Philippian church, and he says they even gave to the Jerusalem church because he heard they were going, they, uh, they heard they were going through a famine. So their practice was to give generously to advance spiritual kingdom work and to meet real physical needs. And I love that pattern. I love it so much we stole it for our own house. And Lisa and I determined that's going to be the framework for our practice of generosity. How does it advance the kingdom influence globally, locally and globally? How does it meet real needs of those who are suffering? I've seen our church live that out too. I've seen our church financially give to gospel advancement and at the same time financially give to meet the needs of those who are experienced poverty or those who've walked through a natural disaster. And you know, not even just financially. I've watched people give of themselves with their time and their talents and their relational investments. Uh, this year, I watched two groups of people see a need that popped up within our body, one for those who were grieving, and they chose, busy leaders, chose to give more of their time to launch a grief share ministry that just finished a few weeks ago here. Happened to meet one of the members who had just finished that, didn't even know they were in that group, and they talked about how it had been such a deep encouragement to them that they're going to re-enroll in it next semester. I watched another couple Look at those who are older or, or ill among us who can't make it in to being with their small group, their community group, or to worship service, and just said, there's no reason. Cars go both ways. We could go to them. And they started a ministry called Fellowship Visits. Again, all of that out of seeing spiritual advancement and real needs met at the same time. The best thing about generosity, though, is not just what it does in the physical realm. I do believe generosity meets real needs. I'm glad for that. But the best thing is what it does in the spiritual realm. This is where Paul takes us in Philippians. See, back in Philippians, to so the very beginning of the letter, in the intro, I know this was 12 weeks ago, but Paul said, I'm writing you this thank you letter because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul could have said, I'm writing you this thank you letter because of the bag of money you sent me. But he doesn't call it that, does he? He calls it the partnership in the gospel. Notice Paul's vision about financial generosity. 
He sees it as partnership in the gospel. And that's because that's God's vision as well. And, and Paul got to see the fruit of that in his own lifetime, which is so cool, because God could have been good and not let Paul see the fruit, but he chose to be so good he let him see the fruit. His whole desire when he got to the continent of Europe, which Philippi was his first gospel preaching in Europe, was to continue to go all the way through Europe, and he said, I must also get to Rome. Rome would have been the seat of power to the known world. And he said, I've got to get to Rome, and I've got to preach the gospel there. Well, notice how he closes the letter to the Philippians. They've been financially giving to him. And he says in verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, that's where they lived, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. In other words, he says, you guys were exemplary in your financial generosity to my ministry. And then verse 22, he closes the greeting of the, of the whole letter with this greeting. All God's people here, here is Rome. He's in the Roman prison. Send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Imagine being the first, imagine this was an unreached people group, the United States of America. And the first missionary lands on our continent and he says, I want to see this gospel go all over the United States of America and even get to Washington, D.C., even influence people on the streets there. And then because of our giving to that missionary, we hear that not only has the gospel gone to the streets of D.C., that there are believers who are among the White House staff as well. That's the gospel advancement that they got to be part of. And Paul's vision is this wasn't a me thing. This was a we thing, my going and your giving, partnership for a bigger purpose that God was using. Giving is one more way we actually participate in kingdom ministry. Now, again, if that's not a big enough vision for you, if being part of a global vision is not enough to encourage your heart, it gets better. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So good. Hey, we have a, a training center class we do every fall here called Align. The subtitle of that is Align Your Heart uh, or Your Finances with the Heart of God. In fact, Daryl and others even co-taught that this fall. Filled up both the early morning and the second hour as well this fall. And they have a phrase that they use in that, and if you've been through a line, you recognize it, where they say, it's not what we want from you, it's what we want for you. Now, giving, giving is not about what God wants from us, it's what he wants for us. Where did a line get a catchy phrase like that? They plagiarized it from verse 17, the Philippians 4. By the way, note Anytime you hear good Bible teaching, all you're really hearing is creative plagiarism, okay? If you're ever hearing something too original from up front, be scared. Because we're dialed into what God has already given us to learn and grow from. And here, Paul says, when I told you I had a need, I wasn't just looking to get from you. Sure, I had a need. But I wanted you to receive something. And the something he wants them to receive is eternal 
spiritual rewards. In fact, uh, other English translations uh, say, it's, I don't just desire your gifts, I desire that you would profit into your account. Meaning your spiritual, heavenly, eternal account continues to grow. And what Paul is talking about here is the same thing Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. When he said, listen, if you want to do the good life, if the good life is your aim, don't store up treasure on earth where it will only be temporary. But instead, store up treasure in heaven. And Philippians chapter 4, verse 17 tells us one way we can store up treasure in heaven. And it's by financially investing in the things that God is doing. I don't know exactly how all of the heavenly economy works. I just know enough to take Jesus at his word. And if Jesus is telling me, I promise you anything you think you're giving away, you're actually just investing for the future, I'm going to take that to the bank, literally. And let it change our practice. He wants us to have earthly giving that leads to heavenly rewards. And that's all Paul is echoing in verse 17. And again, if this promise is not enough to cause our hearts to get bigger, it actually gets better if you can believe it. Verse 18, Paul even takes it one step richer. He says, I've received full payment. I have more than enough. So everything Epaphroditus brought or sent, I got. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Notice how he talks about the gifts. Here's the description. They, the gifts, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Incredible. Our giving is not just to other people or other ministries or our local church. Our giving is first and foremost a gift to God. And here Paul is saying that our giving can be a fragrant offering. An offering is what you present to God. It can be an acceptable sacrifice. It can be a pleasing to God, which tells me that Lisa's and my giving can be an act of worship that both pleases and praises God, which really makes a lot of sense. We open the service with Doug reading from James, telling us that every good gift we have has come to us from the Father of lights. He's placed it in our hands. Men and women, if you're going to receive something, you've got to have open hands. And if you're going to give something, you've got to have open hands. And so our giving is part of an open-handed worship that what God put into our hands, we are gratefully returning a portion back to him, knowing that it pleases him and brings him praise. See, verse 17 is simply saying this, our giving will bless us. And verse 18 says, our giving will bless God. And God is so generous that he wants to ensure that blessing happens. And so in verse 19, he tells us, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. This again is the second promise in the passage. The first one was a strength for contentment, and the second one is that God will provide for the generous giver. Folks, do you see how for us God is? 
He promises to meet the need of the generous woman or the generous man. And the apropos word here is need. He doesn't promise to give us all of our material wants. In fact, the prosperity gospel that you see on television, the health and wealth gospel, that is a false gospel. It's a false gospel built on obtaining and containing our material wants. The real gospel of Jesus Christ is a promise of God to generously meet our needs as we live out generous generosity ourselves. Think about it this way. All God is trying to do is move us to a place of generous giving where we practice seeing our lives not as buckets that hold on to and keep all of our blessings, but instead we live as pipelines where we let God's blessings move through us to the people he wants to touch and reach. And pipelines are the happiest people. Paul closes this letter talking about both contentment and generosity. Don't you find that an interesting closing to a thank you letter? It's almost as though he's trying to put two messages into one. In the first part of the passage, he's talking about the practice and the promise of contentment. The second part of the passage, he's talking about the practice and the promise of giving. Is this really two messages? Is Paul doing what we preachers tend to do too much, which is we just can't land the plane on a sermon, so we keep going and putting more in there? Or is he trying to work giving into a perfectly good sermon on happiness? Is that what he's doing here? Yes, we had one person say. So yes is one answer option on the table. Thank you. But there could be another option. And it could be this. It's one message linked by the promise of God. And the promise of God is about his generosity. You, yes, the first half, he talked about our contentment. How do we experience it? Because a generous God promises to give us strength in all circumstances. And yes, he talks about generosity and giving. How do we practice it? Because a generous God has promised to supply all of our needs in Christ Jesus. Don't you see who's at the epicenter of this message? We're just the pipelines. Happy, generous pipelines. Because the generosity of God is changing our focus on the things we live with around, the material things, and allowing us to be part of God's bigger story in the, in, the, in the meantime. And I am so glad that in the providence of God, this passage came on Thanksgiving weekend, aren't you? Because that is the heartbeat of our gratitude, the generosity of God. Let me pray for us. And I want us to practice in prayer something right now. Would you put both of your hands on your lap and open those hands? You might be in a season of plenty or a season of need. You might be a season right in the middle where it's just enough. But God is the one who's put those gifts in your hands. Would you name those gifts in your mind and heart? 
Name the people, the things, the circumstances God has placed in your hands. Easy and hard. Thank him for the strength that he gives you to be satisfied in those things. And then while our hands are open, thank him for the opportunities he's given you to give generously. Name those. Thank him for those opportunities. shows you new places, thank him for those. Jesus, our lives are yours. You supply them, you sustain them, but you also use them for your bigger purposes. Make us a satisfied, generous people who enjoy you and enjoy seeing you work through us. We are grateful for your generosity. This morning, I'm not going to reteach the passage, but I want to share with you some things that have been helpful to me as I've been meditating on this passage from Philippians. And I want to say first that I struggle with contentment. And even yesterday, just parenting four young kids, they kept asking all day for hot chocolate. And so as good parents, what did we do? We gave them hot chocolate. And as soon as they finished their hot chocolate, you know what they said? I want more hot chocolate. And in that moment, I thought, and what does the Lord do with me when he gives me so many good gifts? And I always ask for more. Or maybe in times of need, I ask God, why me? Why am I walking through this season? But when you look at Philippians chapter 4, we see Paul say that he learned to be content in each and every situation. So a prayer for me has been, Lord, would you teach me to be content with your presence, your purpose, and your will in my life? And I want to share a quote with you that's been helpful to me by Eugene Peterson. Uh, He was interviewed towards the end of his life, and he said this. I've had occasion in the last several years to reflect on my life, and I've realized that I didn't often know what I was doing. Instead of having a destination, a goal, a vision, I was immersed in a way of life in which every step was an arrival at a new place. And when I read that, I kept thinking, man, Lord, what a beautiful perspective. Every step is an arrival to this present moment, this gift of God. And I had gone through life always saying, well, hey, when I graduate high school, I'll be content. Or when I win the tournament, I'll be content. When I get married, I'll be content. When I have kids, I'll be content. And this has been a huge paradigm shift to Say, Lord, this present moment is a gift. Every step is an arrival in your presence. And so we remind ourselves of the promise at the end of Philippians. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus.
To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So would you stand with me and let's close this morning by singing a song of dependence, a song that calls our own spirit to attention as we declare that he is our Lord. You're my Lord. I have no good beside you. I have no need apart from you, Jesus. My
Father, would you teach us to trust in your promises to us? God, would you teach us to be content and to trust in your goodness toward us? We thank you for this opportunity to worship you in this place with brothers and sisters. And as we leave this place, would we go in the presence of your peace, people marked by your peace and contentment and tell the world about the treasure that we have found. We love you, we praise you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Go in peace this week, Bentonville.